Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is March 26th, and our chapter for today is 1 Samuel chapter 15. Well, this is not the end of the story of Saul, but it is the beginning of the end of his reign. In the previous chapters between chapter 10 and chapter 15, various stories of Saul the king have been told. Now he is assigned to go against the Amalekites and to destroy them. When you look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, it starts out, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord, of Yahweh, of Hashem, of the covenant God of the scriptures and of Israel. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, remember, this is 400 years after this attack, this ambush, when the children of Israel came out of Egyptian bondage. This is very important. God doesn't forget about justice. The scripture says, vengeance is his. He will repay, says the Lord. Why? Because he's the only one that has the balance and the ability to treat people in a way that is just, is righteous, and yet it deals with sin and with wrongdoing. You and I cannot handle that. God can. God has waited patiently for over 400 years, but Amalek is going to be punished. Why? Because God is long-suffering, wanting Amalek to repent, wanting Amalek to turn. But this son of Edom, of Esau, this descendant of Esau, came up right around Esau, seeing the hatred for his brother Jacob or Israel. And this is inbred in his heart. And the Amalekites ambushed, came out against an innocent people. The children of Israel were not going to take over their land. They just had something in for them that was what we call anti-Semitic. It was just the enemy of our souls going after the Jewish people. And so God says, I remember what they did, and here's what I want you to do. Now go and attack, this is verse 3, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, oxen, sheep, camel, and donkey. God said, I want them wiped out. And he has his reasons for that. We're not going to be able to go into the clear teaching of Scripture about something like this. This is not genocide. This is not wiping out an entire civilization. This is judgment of God upon a group of people that attacked and did what they did against innocent people and continued to do it. They didn't just stop after that one attack. The Amalekites was 
was synonymous with anyone who was an enemy of God's people. And God gave specific instructions. This is what I want you to see. But look at verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But the things that were no good, then he destroyed. In other words, God specifically said in verse 3 what he wanted him to do. In verse 9, Saul and the people, and Saul was accountable because he's the leader of the people, decided they knew more than God. And this is what happens. This is the root of all sin when we think we know better than God. Listen, God is right every time, all the time, anytime God is right. You and I, when we come up against God, we lose. Why? Because he is righteous. He's perfect. He never makes a mistake. You and I are not smarter than God. And so when God's word says something, you might think, well, yeah, that's for most people, but not for me. No, it's for everyone. And so the scripture says in verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret. That's what the King James and New King James and modern versions will say. But the word is the word, and it's the word for comfort, solace, pity, grieve. It's translated a dozen different ways. But the idea is that God was greatly grieved that he had made Saul king. Now, that doesn't mean he got it wrong. That doesn't mean that this took him by surprise. It just simply is the word for grieve. He was grieving. He was compassionate. He hated to see this happen. And it wasn't that he had made a mistake or that he's repented or any of that. No, no, no. The word here is nachum. It's the word for grieve. And it's translated that many times. Why? Because Saul had missed it. Saul had missed it. When one of God's children missed the mark and sin, and that's what the word here is, chata, it's the word for sin, that he did not follow God's instructions, that is Saul, and because of that, he fell short. Chata is the word for sin. It means to fall short. It's the same word or the counterpart in the Greek New Testament, harmartia. All have sinned, harmartia. That means they've fallen short of the glory of God. If I were to translate that for you just the way it was written, it would be, all have fallen short. And then he explains, it's paraphrastic, it paraphrases the second part, and he says, all have sinned, all have come short. Come short of what? Come short of the glory of God. All have sinned, that is, all have come short. Come short of what? The last part of Romans 3.23 says it. The glory of God. You see, what you and I are going to be judged by when it comes to falling short is not somebody we pick out as a hypocrite or not somebody that we put on this pedestal. We fall short of the glory of God. You see, nobody measures up to God, so we all are in the same boat. And so he says that Saul came up short when he didn't do what God told him to do and selfishly did what he wanted to do. Now, over in verse 22, Samuel goes on to explain to Saul, He says, you think that your sacrifice and the slaying of these animals is going to make up for this? So Samuel said, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Is he into just animals being killed? And no, no, no. No, he's much more interested in obedience. You see, sacrifice and offerings are there because we have sinned. 
God's ideal for us is to live in obedience. So he says, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice or the fat of rams. Now listen to this, to heed than the fat of rams. The word here for obey is the word shema, shema, shema. It's the word to hear, to listen, to obey, to walk with. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That word shema or shema, as we would say it in the West, is the word for listen. Hear, the word hear, but hear is not letting it go in one ear and going out the other. The word is the concept of hearing with a mind of submission to that hearing. It's hearing with a mind to obey. It's the word listen, not just hearing audibly a sound and saying, oh, I heard you. No, God's not asking, did you hear me? He's asking, are you going to obey? Because God's word demands obedience. You see, this idea that Jesus has made me free and I'm free to do whatever I please. No, you're not. That's not what freedom in Christ is. When God says, I have made you free, and he freed the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage even, from literal physical slavery, he freed them for a purpose, on purpose, with purpose. And that is so that they could worship him, obey him, live for him, be a wholly separate people. He didn't just free them so they could say, hey, I'm free. I can do whatever I want to now. I can get up in the morning and make my own way. No, God saves us. God delivers us on purpose, for a purpose. And the purpose is obedience. Why? Because God knows better than we do. So he said, for rebellion, that is, rebellion is when we do what we want to do over what God commands us to do and desires for us to do. For rebellion, listen to this, is as the sin of witchcraft, of witchcraft. It's the same. Rebellion says, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to look for another supernatural solution. I'm going to do something other than what you say to do. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness, that is, well, I know what God wants me to do, but I'm going to hold out. I'm going to do it my way. Stubbornness, we're so stinking stubborn. Stubbornness is as twisting iniquity, avon, and idolatry. Because you see, when you're stubborn, when I'm stubborn, what we're saying is, I know what you want me to do, but I'm not going to do it. I know what someone wants me to do, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do this to spite them. I'm going to do this to flip my nose toward them. I'm going to do what I want to do because I can physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually do it. Well, you may be doing that for a while, but God has the final say. You see, your life, your breath, your existence is in the hand of God. He can take your breath away in a moment. He can take your life away in a moment. You're not all end all. And the scripture says that Saul got to the point to where he evidently felt like he knew more than God. And so the scripture says, because you have rejected, by the way, that's the perfect tense in the Hebrew language. That means it's a done deal. Because you have settled in your mind, you're not always going to do what God wants you to do. You'll do it when it's convenient, when it fits into your paradigm and your template. But if it's something that makes me uncomfortable and makes me have to work and makes me have to do something I don't want to do, you see, this is the idea that leads to sin and rebellion and rejection. Now, look here. 
what it says is, because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, of Hashem, of the God of creation, the God of Israel. He has also rejected you. In other words, these two are conjunctive. That is, one is latched on to the other. Because you did this, this brings about this consequence. You say, okay, I'm going to do it my way. God says, okay, you do it your way. Well, God, you stop me if you don't want me to do that. No, God's already told you not to do it, and you can go bloody your head up, banging it into a wall. God's not going to stop you. You're just going to have a bloody head. You're going to have a headache. This is what sin does. It blinds us into thinking we can get away with it. And when God doesn't judge us immediately for our sin, we begin to think that he's like us, that he's just overlooked it. God's not overlooking anything. God, because of Jesus, shows us mercy and grace. And because of Jesus, we have a relationship with the Father. But the fact is, he is still our father. He's not a grandfather. He's going to discipline us. And the scripture says, as many as he loves, he's going to chastise. He's going to chasten. He's going to whip us. He's going to discipline us. Why? Because he loves us. And he knows that when we get in this frame of mind that Saul was in, well, I'll just do this and I can always ask forgiveness. You're presuming upon the grace and mercy of God. And that's a very dangerous precedent to follow because always in the scriptures, and the scriptures are replete with examples of this, when we start presuming upon the grace and mercy of God, it never ends well. Saul said, I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it and the way I want to do it. And then when he saw what disaster it brought upon him, all of a sudden he wanted Samuel to fix it. Samuel said, no, the damage is done. It's already over. God has rejected you. You're not going to be king. God has already found someone else. You've done this over and over and over again until finally God says that's enough. Does God ever say that's enough? Yes. You and I don't know when that is. So we need to walk in obedience. Now, this doesn't mean you won't be saved. This doesn't mean that you will not be a child of God. It doesn't mean anything like that. It does mean that God says enough is enough. And so the lesson of today is this. Just obey the Lord. Let's obey God. Let's read his word with a mind to obey. Not what can I get by with. Not how little can I do and still be saved. That's not the attitude of a saved man. Little boy just kept on falling out of bed, falling out of bed, falling out of bed. His mother did everything that she could to keep him from falling out of bed. And finally, she said, well, son, why do you think you keep falling out of bed? He said, well, I think I'm staying too close to where I got in. I think that's the answer in a lot of our lives. We're not moving on to godliness. We're staying real close to where we got in. We've still got one foot in the world, one foot, because we like it. Ask God to renew your heart, to give you a brand new beginning, to listen with a mind to obey. Hear the word of the Lord. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.